broadcasting live out of a basement in Appleton, Wisconsin. You're tuned into Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio. For the show that gives you an opportunity to call in and be a part of the show. Our call in line is 920-358-0795. Core. My next guest has played in various bands over the last couple decades. Most recently, he's released a couple albums on the One Week Record label. He's toured internationally many times. I'd like to welcome Walt Hamburger to Fox City's Core. Walt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to know which one you are today. <laughs> That's a twin joke, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to save it for the end, but usually in public I get a little confused. But today I have a pretty good idea who I'm talking to, so that's good. I appreciate you, I appreciate you bringing the spread over there. Yeah. What, what are you working with well, over there? I brought you some hot sauce from California. We ordered it, and my girlfriend wants it out of the house. <laughs> so it's the Pepper Plant original California style. They didn't have um, Tabasco out there when we were out there. We went to Big Sur last year. So I was taking in the hot sauces. So I wanted this, and then I ordered it, and it never came. And then I ordered two more, and then they all came on, like, the same day. And so we tried it, and we have two more, so it's open, and you can... Do you like hot sauce? I, I do now. Oh, boy. I mean, it's not that good. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah, okay. <sighs> Welcome to flavor country. Let's so- see. I brought some wafers. These are good. You can get these at festivals for like a dollar sixty-seven. Um, Mount Olive pickles, which I thought would be good for like the AMSR fans out there. Uh, Gatorade, a couple beers and a beer. Uh, I think that's. Oh, and some Dupont medium cheddar. I've only really had their two-year sharp cheddar, which is very good. How um, long? How long do you plan on staying? <laughs> that's a good question. Until I get kicked out. But yeah, I don't know. I I, uh, I ran out of bags, so this is actually pizza foil from uh, Riverside Pizza in Iron River that we held on to like three years ago. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's really yeah. nice of you, Walt. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Well, this hot sauce, I look forward to trying. Yeah, you try that yeah. when you when you feel feeling like some hot sauce. Yeah, maybe I'll have some uh, during the show at some point. Who's stopping you? <laughs> <laughs> so. But let's right off the bat ask you, you've had kind of a whirlwind uh, career so far and you've been in the scene for quite a while and then you sort of took off around 2014. I should say it took off to like you reached a new level of yeah, sure of, of stardom. Can I use that word stardom? <laughs> Absolutely. Let's uh, before we get too far into what happened, let's talk about how you got started in music. Um. Yeah, I, I think music was always just something I did. Um, I like to sing, I guess, in the crib quite a bit. Uh, like Bye Bye Birdie, I think it was, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, I remember in when I first started playing instruments, besides like just picking up pianos and stuff, not picking up pianos, but you know, playing pianos when they were around and things like that. You know, fourth grade, they're like, you know, everybody get, pick an instrument and sit down and we'll make noise. And I thought the trombone looked the most fun. And uh, so I, I did that, and I was pretty good at it. Um, and so that was kind of, jazz was sort of the thing all the way through high school. I really, I was good at it. I had offers for colleges. I did go to college for trombone, actually, but I, I dropped out pretty quick because you're supposed to practice like eight hours a day, and it was just kind of like a thing I was good at but didn't want to do. Like, you remember Ricky Williams, the running back from Texas, that really, all he really wanted to do was smoke pot, but he was really good at football? Um, that's how I felt, but not nothing to do with pot. But I just like I knew I was very good at trombone, but it just wasn't 
like improvisation that was that was my strength but it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life and, and going to college to play an instrument like that is kind of pointless like if you're you can learn a lot but your degree isn't going to do anything for you like no band is going to hire you because you got a degree somewhere so with the the trombone there are bands that have trombones in, but I mean, yeah, dusk ska <laughs> bands, right? Like dusk, yeah. So uh, were there a lot of people that are interested in music at your high school? Well, I mean, like my graduating class had yesterday's kids in it. Um, I was good friends with those guys, you know, Tim and Justin mainly, and um, Screwballs also preceding that, and Amazing Larry before that, or Amazing Larry after that, I guess. Um, and then uh, there were some other bands that came out of that, and then of course Tenement. Uh, you know before that social classics like nina had some good stuff i think so there was like definitely like a not only like a lot of people that listened to kind of the punk rock thing but then uh a lot of them that were actually doing it i mean yesterday's kids got signed like to, to the panic button lookout thing like a couple years after we, we graduated you know like man i feel like i'm breathing really hard <laughs> smoky out <coughs> a lot of <gasps> i'm a big guy over here you know so that's the story of nina I just said it. Ed Temple too, and uh, yeah, they they existed. So, what was the the first like time you picked up a guitar? So, like, I had a friend named Weston Rose who uh, his dad collected instruments, and he lived pretty close, and he wanted to do like a jazz kind of like play at bars and long, you know, like ten, twelve minute songs, just kind of like jam, but not like you know, Grateful Dead jam, like you know, like rock, whatever, Chicago ish, Cream, that sort of thing. And uh, he, his dad collected instruments, so he let me borrow one of his, at one of those little times we got together, like one of his old like spray-painted guitars, and that's kind of how I learned it. And then I think when I was 15 or 16, I uh, had my first job for the Nina Parks Department uh, teaching kids how to play baseball. I think I made like $600 the whole summer, and I bought a court uh, guitar that looked like um, Slash's guitar. <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, what, uh, I can't even think of the name of the amp. It was just like a... 15 watt intro amp you know i still have it i have both of those still but that's where i learned uh you know like i kind of taught myself mostly i would i would like go this is before the the internet kids so like you, you didn't have the youtube to teach you how to do stuff i never learned tablature or anything like that so i would go to school and ask people um you know how to just teach me one chord today and then i would learn that and try to work it into a song or something well, as far as what you were listening to in, in that time period, were you yeah. listening to it, it? Are we talking like the the late nineties? That that yeah, era? mid mid to late nineties was high school. I graduated in ninety nine. Um, I'm three hundred and thirty two years old. Um, <laughs> I I I first like started listening to punk because of uh, you know Green Day probably like uh, I think seventh or eighth grade. Uh, people started around me listening to like Offspring and Green Day and Rancid and No Effects and Bad Religion and Descendants and Screeching Weasel was really big in Nina for some reason. Um, and uh, so once I started hearing that stuff, it, it kind of like blew my mind how fun music could be. Um, and so I really got into it. And like a lot of our freshman class at Nina got into punk rock and then just moved on like really quickly. Like they wanted to go to shows just to run around and bump into people and it was exciting and stuff but I, I really liked the music and uh so i was one of the you know people that just kept uh kept enjoying it probably too long do you want a pickle uh, i'm good for now they're mount olive they're good they're It'll big good. though I might hit you up later for one of those pickles yeah man i brought enough so as far as concerts go and things like that <laughs> <laughs> there was 
I, I think there was the the notorious Green Day concert that took place in Ridgeway. Were, were you there? I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to go. <laughs> My best friend's sister went, or, or had tickets, and maybe she wasn't allowed to go too. I can't talk about what he did there, but he did a thing. <laughs> but I know about it. So you're known. You're you're known for like playing acoustic guitar. Yeah. You you learned on an electric. The first guitar I ever had was electric. I think I was gifted an acoustic guitar shortly thereafter. And I think, um, I mean, I always wrote mostly my, my music on an acoustic and then like just transferred it to, uh, you know, full band setting for all that stuff. Because I did up till, you know, the last <sighs> almost 10 years. I'm doing a really good job not swearing. I've almost done it like four times. Appreciate it. Um, uh, you know, that, that was bands were the thing, you know, and I still play in some sort of bands like every now and then and. But yeah, the the acoustic thing. I don't know. You just kind of like it's a good way to write songs, and then you kind of just go from there. And uh, and then now it's kind of the opposite. So when did the hamburgers officially start? Hamburgers. So it was caution the wind, and then we were really bad. And then we did. Uh, then I started Honor Among Thieves with Brian Gibish, who was from Nina. He was in the Screwballs as well, and um, and we played 2003, 2004, and then right at the tail end of that, um, 2004, I think, is when we started the Hamburgers, and uh, Mike Zarola is the guy that I played, um, he lives a block from you, which is kind of exciting, uh, he's still the drummer that I have now, um, he, he uh, played in jazz band and band with me way back in Nina, and then, um, let's see, I keep forgetting you're recording this visually, and I'm just like, <laughs> uh, he... He and I were playing in a band called Lobot's Task, and uh, this guy Ben came to uh, one of our practices, or no, one of our shows, and uh, we were looking for a bass player to start a punk band, and he was excited about the Lobot's Task show, so we, we started up, and uh, yeah, we were flashing the pan for how much people still remember us, but it was like an, a year and a half, 2004, 2005, I think. And you guys weren't playing covers, you were writing originals? Yeah, yeah, no, we were just straight up uh, rock and roll punk Um I don't know if we really had like a specific influence because we all came from different backgrounds. Like Mike really loves Queen and Led Zeppelin, and I was still into the '90s punk thing, and uh, Ben was into like '60s rock and roll. So our songs just kind of we all just added our thing to it, whatever that meant, and uh, lots of harmonies, lots of fun. Like we were just—I I think we were just kind of fun, even if the music wasn't necessarily like the words weren't super positive. Although they mostly were in that band, um, unlike a lot of the other stuff. But um, yeah. And then, so the hamburgers, the, the songs, a lot of the the content had to do with like burgers and and things like that. Like, whose idea was it? Was it sort of like, hey, we're going to start this band? Let's call it the Hamburgers. Let's just write. <laughs> well, I couldn't believe that the Hamburgers wasn't a name. It's just such a Americana, like the Beatles. I mean, I know the Beatles aren't from America, but there's just so many names that's just like the thing. And hamburgers just seemed so obvious, and it was just like, wow, how is this not used? So. I think I came into practice early on with the hamburger anthem, just kind of like this song that was just like really over the top, kind of funny, like all written in like, you know, 20 minutes, just like, you know, and then Ben had a song about hamburgers and then I think we made one or two more, but we, so I, 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 it's been 15 years now since I've, um, on purpose ate meat, but, uh, back then, you know, it was pretty nice cause you'd go to shows and everybody would want to take you to their favorite hamburger joint and pay for it. So like on our tours, we'd just eat hamburgers like all the time. It was, it was really cool. Where were you guys playing a lot back? Was it at the, uh, like the new moon? 
Uh, we played at the new, actually, yes. Uh, I forgot about how much, yeah, that back when the mirrors would fog up at the new moon and the blue moon, we played both those places quite a bit. Um, hamburgers played a lot in what, well, hat, I can't I get them confused because I'm so very old now, but there was a lot, there was like a place in Shawano, a lot of stuff in Green Bay, like the Eagles Club, which they just tore down. We played a ton of shows there with Leghounds, Groovy Ghoulies, um, Vertebreakers, Rumors, bands like that. How does it feel like when you saw the news at the that Eagles Club? That made me Eagles sad. Because um, it's like nothing lasts in Green Bay, venue-wise. Like, and I know it's not a venue, and it hasn't, not a real venue, and it hasn't been a venue in forever, but it was, I mean, that's kind of where, uh, like, Tom Smith was like, I think that's where I met you, and I, I, I can't really tell if that's actually true because i know i played a few shows at rock and roll high school but i don't know if he was there there were like the pep rally things or whatever or like a show at the benjamins once i don't know why he would be at that show but uh you know i met a lot of people there for the first time um and uh, you know for it was years of just going up and driving to that you know first the shows were always on the big side and then they moved it to the little bingo room and it was always fun or scary one of the two you know I was a young guy, so I was, I was newer to the scene than a lot of people, so I felt like I had to earn my, uh, you know, whatever, people what, liking me. When did it <laughs> When did it feel, like, are you, are you comfortable now when you perform? With what? Just when you're doing a performance, kind of compared to how you were, like, when you're playing at the Eagles. Well, I, wasn't, I never had trouble with the performance. It was more the um, talking to the people and feeling like I fit in in that crowd um, because I started later than everybody else. My first band was terrible. and I used to do that bullshit thing where my band would show up late so we didn't play first. And <laughs> I think Tom caught on and, and like I, I pissed him off and I feel bad about that now because what a stupid thing. Now I'm like the two hours early to a show. Like I'm just like, where's the sound check? Where can I, what can I do for you to make this go well? You know. Well, so you guys put out the, uh, the songs in the key of beef, which is a great name for a, an album. Yeah. And then you put out Mad Cow Disease. Yeah. How were those albums? We like, sold accepted? tons of those. I mean, hundreds and hundreds. Um, you know, it was all CDRs. Like, just, I think, actually, no, Mad Cow Disease, we did press with the uh, place in Madison that's still going called Super Duper. And you had Tim Schwager and Justin Perkins working on yeah. both of those. Yep. Uh, Justin was the engineer and uh, did some production as well and, and mixing and mastering. And, and we did both of those albums pretty much live. Like, we just, uh, we went in with the first one. I think it was Simple Studios. Yeah. Did? Yep. Best studio ever. I miss that place. Um, we would record, we went to, in there with two days to record two songs, try to get them really good. And we recorded 12. <clears throat> Poor Justin mixing and mastering, like, <laughs> in one, you know, four hour session, the whole thing. So we would do like the whole thing live, and then we would add the vocals, <clears throat> and that was pretty much it. And then the same thing with Mad Cow Disease, we wanted to do four. We were there like th- two or three days, and we ended up doing 20. But we were a tight band, so we could we could do that. Um, I, the records, I think, sound pretty good, but that, a lot of that's just what Justin did. And then Tim, of course, he was we had him um, for, to, to produce and do some background vocals, and some. I think he did a guitar solo in the first one. I don't think he worked on the second one. Because we were moving to two guitars, and he didn't like that as much. So, was the band pretty st- stable as far as the same band members for each release? Yeah, it was me, Ben, and Mike all the way through, and then um, Tim did filled in on drums a couple times live. And then when we did a reunion um, a couple years ago, at Mile he played uh, lead guitar. Did Aaron Newman play on that? He never played in the Hamburgers, um, but he played in Honor Among Thieves, um, and he was the bass. And then he's he's in the thing I do now with the bad puns when we do the occasional full band stuff. Him and me and world famous uh, in every band in Wisconsin now, Texas Butter Todd. (laughs) 
Yeah, Car City Zone, Jason Lemke, and then, of course, Mike Sorolla. Good guys. I'm, we're going to hopefully practice soon because we got a show coming up. Fox River House, the big time, baby. So on air amongst Steve's, that was before the hamburgers? Yeah, that would have been me, Brian Giebisch, John Wallace, and uh, Aaron Newman. And then Aaron left and Giebisch left. And then we got in uh, Bobby and Tess. And they filled in for, I don't know, Bobby's an upright bass player. That was kind of fun for a while. Um, and then when our van exploded. Do you think if, um, I was thinking this last night, I was going to bring this up. Like, is it too late to start a GoFundMe for our van exploding and all our possessions burning in 2003? I feel like I saw a GoFundMe. They didn't have that then. I feel like I saw a GoFundMe for a van recently, which kind of surprised me. I can't remember which band it was. But I mean, we lost. I lost a lot of stuff in that. I lost 600 CDs, my leather jacket, my cell phone. I lost my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame guitar, my amps. The only thing that survived was the the upright bass. I don't understand that at all. That survived. Our trailer was made of wood, so that didn't go good. <laughs> we didn't know where we were on the highway. This was like before we had GPS on our phones, so like we were on our way to Stevens Point to a show, and so we called the wrong county fire department at first, and so they just couldn't find us, and we're just everything burnt. It was the January. It was cold. So we had to stay close to the van so we could stay warm. But, like, the gas tank didn't explode, but the uh, the tires were exploding. So there were four major explosions, or they felt major. Um, so you were driving, and then all of a sudden you just realized. We had two cars. It was, I bought the van earlier that day. <clears throat> and the guy behind us called us and said we were smoking. So we pulled over on 10, somewhere between here and Stevens Point. And uh, I got out, and I went to the back because there was a fire extinguisher back there for some reason. And where we were sitting minutes ago, flames were shooting out of the air vents. And so I could have grabbed the guitar. And that's, uh, I can still think about it that day. My guitar was just in the back. I could have just grabbed it. But I was like, run for your lives. You know, <laughs> like, we got to go. Like, this, because, you know, in movies, like, if a car's on fire for two seconds, then, <laughs> you know. But they, gas tanks are actually surprisingly designed not to explode. So, but it was, uh, you know, I wish I'd grab that guitar. Oh my gosh. Such a good guitar. You didn't, like, go on to MySpace and. I don't even know if MySpace was rocking back then. I mean, I think it was, but I, no, they didn't have. But really, I would love to get that money back now if anybody's interested. <laughs> so all the equipment inside that was lost. You just had everything; nothing was savable. The guy that owned the upright base had home insurance or something, and so he got money, even though his instrument was the only one that didn't. Were you late to the show? We didn't make the show, and when we called them, <laughs> we're still late. Uh, we were supposed to play the Browns, and I remember calling them um, and telling them we were on fire and stuff, and they were just giggling and thinking we were messing around, and like, okay, well, we're going to the emergency room now or something. <laughs> like, I didn't think it really, like, yeah, they didn't, nobody cared. I, like, I, you know, I don't think that I'm very popular then or now, you know. So the hamburgers ended, and ended up not playing anymore, and then what did you do after the hamburgers? Uh, we had a band called... Obvious man hands um, with Amos, right? Yeah, it's almost exactly what Car City is now, actually. Um, and uh, that song you played right before, "Don't Give Up on Love," that was actually uh, Obvious Man Hands song. It's oh, a great, great like, track. Yeah, Jason can write some songs, man. Um, we uh, it was me and Tim Schweig. It started with Brian Gibish again, but he he didn't show up to the studio. So then Justin Perkins played bass on the record that we never released. Amos on drums, and then we brought in Tim Schweiger and uh, and me and Jason. Um, so it's like almost the exact same lineup, except it's Bill now on bass instead of Tim. But it wasn't like we didn't design either of those to be like that. But we just I don't know. Back then we were 
I was really into like the downstroke pop punk stuff. Um, and uh, so we tried to do that and it was fun. We'd, we had like shows where Ben played a couple times with us live where we'd have like two full stacks and a half stack in like this church and a bass right. And we were just so loud that the PA couldn't hear our vote, but we do like four part harmonies, but nobody could hear them like that. And that band lasted for like three years because we just, all of us, like the obsoletes that stopped playing, Hamburger stopped playing, 88 miles per hour stopped playing, Social Classics was kind of winding down, Tenement was just starting. So we mostly, like, Jason had his first kid, and we mostly, like, the, the other three of us would just sit in my basement and play yesterday's kid songs, which was so much fun, just me, Amos, and Tim. And then uh, Tim kind of poached Amos and started the Tim Schweiger and the Middlemen, and the rest is history, baby. But that's showbiz. So at this point, are you feeling sort of left behind? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still mad at those guys. <laughs> no, actually what happened was I moved. I moved to Cecil, um, my partner at the time, and... Um, so I just kind of stopped playing music and got really into gambling, <laughs> like online gambling, um, and uh, that took up a lot of my time. Did so, you make any money? For a while. Nobody is upset when you make the money gambling. It's when you lose that you know, people are like, eh. and then I was like, yeah, I should stop. <laughs> well, and you ended up coming back to the area? Yeah, we moved, moved back to Kakana, just hitting all the big names here uh, in 2010, and then I, I, I kind of kicked around some band ideas, like Steve Cheese, the original drummer from screeching weasel came to my house and played drums with me a couple times and it didn't go great um and i was going to do something with this guy james barnes who's also a class of 99 nina guy but he developed a distaste for me um and he was really good at madden that was frustrating because you know we play some madden and you just destroy me like i thought it was good you know you play the computer you think you're doing good and then you play a person you're like ah was he going for bombs every time he just knew how to do the stuff better you know I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. I could beat the game on hard mode, but I couldn't beat him. Um, but then, yeah, I just kind of... That's when I started doing um, acoustic stuff. I kind of recorded some stuff in uh, Cecil when my marriage was falling apart with just, like, um, GarageBand. Um, was that and, your first time dabbling with, like, home recordings? Yeah, I mean, I'd done demos a lot um, with different things, but that was the first time where I tried mixing and, you know, putting in different kind of production stuff and um you know it didn't really go anywhere i remember i played a couple shows to like four or five people just thinking wow i, I blew it you know like i had something and then i i just kind of fallen out and i I'd played it like the crunchy frog a few times new moon blue moon just kiwani we went out and played at wallace's uh italian restaurant a couple times <laughs> like just nothing important at all and uh that yeah from like 2007 to 2013 i was pretty inactive it's a long time it's like i don't really remember what happened during that time so when did things all of a sudden get kicked off again for you so uh 2014 i got offered to open a show for joey cape from Lagwagon and uh, chris cresswell from the flatliners and brian wallstrom uh scorpios and um i thought that'd be really fun and uh so i said yes and um I played a show three days before that at the New Moon, actually, in Oshkosh. And I remember that might have been the first time I ever played with Todd, actually, uh, world-famous musician, Texas Butter Todd. And there were nine people there, and three of them uh, in the front row, two of them were wearing headphones, actively not listening to me. And that was it. I quit. I was just like, I'm done. I'm going to play this last show with Joey. It'll be fun. Nothing. No pressure. This is, I want to tell anybody. I'm just going to stop. Because it was just a 
a failure, you know, like I was such a failure. It was all over. It's really depressing, Walt. <laughs> yeah. So then I went there and I hadn't, I didn't even know Joey owned a label or anything, you know, like I just was like, oh, you know, I like your band. And uh, so I just went down in the basement, started talking to him. He was working on taxes or something and he was, he was frustrated, but he was really nice to me. Um, this was before your set? Before the set. And then I was doing my sound check and I played a song and he comes running up the stairs, you know, and he's just like, did you write that? And I didn't. <laughs> it was a cover song. And I, I played so few cover songs, but it was like just a good sound check song because it hit all the notes on the guitar and it had different vocal ranges. So it's like, so I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and he was, he was also like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> and uh, But then he came and he watched my set, like kind of from the back. And um, uh, he was laughing at my self-deprecation jokes and stuff. And since touring with him multiple times, he doesn't really watch the opener. It's usually when he eats his dinner. Like, it's not out of, like, disrespect or anything. It's just, like, you do your sound check, and then you have a little time to eat, and then you go back and you do pre preparation vocal warm-ups, and then you, you play. So it was special that he watched that. And all the guys seemed like me. And so we we had a, a good time, um, and he asked for my little demo I had done. My sister had me write a song for their wedding and uh, paid for me to record it so they could have a recording of it. I was so broke back then, it was the only way I could even do that, you know? And uh, and so I gave them that with like three or four other songs on it. And then they went from Green Bay to Winnipeg and then did a Canadian stretch and then came back to Seattle. And he had given me his phone number because uh, Lagwagon was coming back in like five weeks. And he was like, uh, um, you know, you'll be my Green Bay friend and come hang out at the show. And so when they called me six days later, um, I thought it was a pocket dial. I just got home from work. Another Madden reference. I was playing Madden in my boxers. I was just sitting on my bed. And I never would have answered if I knew it was a real call, but I'm just like, oh, let's hear what it's like in the van. <laughs> and he was just like, Walt? And I'm like, oh, shit. I think that was the first thing <laughs> I said to him. Sorry. Um, and um, he's like, yeah, we've been listening to your record. Apparently what they were doing at the time was everybody got to pick a record and you'd rotate. And Chris Cresswell kept picking mine. Um, and just listening to it over and over and over again. It's only like five songs, and it was terrible, probably. I don't know. I probably have it somewhere. Was this what you did on GarageBand? No, this was like the Sisters song and a oh. few other songs that I recorded with Tim Schweiger in Milwaukee just on his computer sort of thing. And um, and he's like, yeah, we want to know if you want to come out and make a one-week record. And I was like, uh, I don't know what to say. And he, he thought, he's like, well, you should say yes. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so they were just at a gas station in Seattle or something, and that... Uh, you know, that changed everything for me. Now I'm one of the most uh, famous people in the whole world. Was When you said yes to that, it must have been exciting, but also your your guts must have been twisting at the same time because well, did he, you didn't have a lot of material written to record. Well, I had point. a lot of stuff. I just didn't have anything to record because I didn't have any money. I just, like, I just kind of recorded the song for my sister, which is on the first one. It's called A Thousand Roads. Um, Does she get a cut of all your sales now? <laughs> yeah, she's making 2 $3 a year. <laughs> Just raking it in. Um, that's probably a high estimate. Um, yeah, I uh, I ran. My ex-partner lived two houses down at the time, and uh, I ran to her house with, like, a bottle of whiskey or something. She wasn't home. Called my mom. She wasn't answering. My dad was at work. I had no one to tell. And we had to keep it secret for a while, like months, where I could only kind of just cryptically talk about it. And so he said, I don't want you to get this out until... Yeah, I don't know what the deal was because then one day he just posted a picture of us and he's like, "I'm this is the next record." And I'm just like, well, "Okay, can I share this now? Because it's out there, you know." 
Well, so for, for people that are listening or watching that might not know what one re- one week records is, could you explain sort of the concept of it? Uh, yeah, it's so it's Joey Cape and um, from Lagwagon, and he um, he had a home studio. He now I think he still does have a home studio, but now I think he records at a different place sometimes. But basically, you spend one week uh, recording a full record, and it doesn't give you a lot of time for overproduction and stuff. So it's very stripped down tracks, usually you know an acoustic guitar or piano vocals maybe a few harmonies maybe a few leads you know but nothing fancy so it's like a really stripped down like non the opposite of an overproduced record like car city was so um and um and usually you get to do one and i've done two uh three if you count the one i did i did i I did half of his record as well um the one week he did i did harmonies and played guitar on that as well so um it can be a really stressful environment i mean it's like a room like a fourth of the size of the one we're in um the at first now the last one i did a third of it at asher's studio in la which is katie perry's old house so it's much bigger like they built the studio in the shoe closet her old shoe closet and it's enormous you know so recording that first album did you feel sort of pressure like this has got to be good because i want to sometimes you don't get a, a second chance yeah there there was a lot of that the first several years of my um whatever phase of this career you want to call it was me wondering, um, kind of, kind of treating it like a fantasy camp. Like I was thirty three or something, thirty two, thirty three. So like, I felt like I had already kind of passed my. Most people that get signed and get to do these national tours, it's like you know you're, you're like nineteen, twenty, twenty one. Like you know, for me, it was like I, I felt like I could really appreciate it more. And everything felt like extra. Like okay, I'm going to do this tour, and this is probably it. But wow, I got to do this tour, you know, and then, oh, I'm getting another one. You know, I'm going to Europe. Wow, I'm going to Europe. Like, and now I've been to Europe, I think, four or five times. Like, it's crazy. And every time this this happens, I think, well, this is probably it. But wow, this was really cool, like, that I get to do this and not have to do a regular job. Because I don't like regular jobs. Um, I don't even like this job that much, but it's it's better for me, you know. The, the first time you toured internationally uh, from One Week Records, first show in england let's say well first we went to canada that was exciting for me at the time but yeah okay let's go to well, let's do this to canada yeah okay <laughs> so, so you're doing these tours with uh, joey's along right yeah joey's the headliner and, and i played in joey's band as well so i would play the first tour i was actually direct support um so it'd be like local brian would play then i would play then me and joey would play i played in about half his set including the closers and stuff so i was up there in front of big crowds every night and it was it was really fun i've never had like stage fright for big crowds it's little crowds that scare me if i was singing to you i'd be nervous just you but if there were thirty thousand people in here well not that i ever played to thirty thousand. i guess most i play for is like 2500 or something but it doesn't scare me at all it's just, it's just a sea of people you don't think about it you know was it a different ball game as far as you're playing in front of people that you're doing a show in the fox cities it's people you know or people that well people don't like me here but people like me elsewhere so it was fun yeah so let's let's touch on that comment. So you said people don't like you. Like what? What? Hmm. Uh, hey, it's a joke. I don't know. I just assume people don't like me. I don't think I don't I don't draw well here. Like um, people don't come to my shows really here. You know, I mean they do sometimes, but there's no predicting it. I think people think of me more as the animal person here, like animal rights, raise money for animals. Like I don't. Nobody knows the words of my songs. I'm, I'm not trying to hate on where I, where I live or anything. I just don't think I've done whatever it takes to be a fixture of the community other than everybody knows me because i have blue hair and look like a cartoon do but you, like do you think like some of that feeling might come from jealousy of who 
about from like the scene or like who would I be jealous of? No, not you. I'm talking <laughs> oh, to them? people. Yeah, them. They, why would anybody be jealous of me? Well, you're on one week records. You're touring internationally. <sighs> nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> people might care about the touring thing, but nobody cares. No, 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 no. I, I just, uh, I don't know. I never felt like I. I'm sure there's people out there like that. You know, whatever. I shouldn't have said anything. Well, so you're touring. You're touring internationally. You're playing in front of people that that <laughs> time that, for a pickle. <laughs> you're playing in front of people that don't normally see you, and like that. Yeah. You're being like the reception is is really good as well. Like people are mm-hmm. buying. Your album they knew the words before I got there. That's got to be a cool feeling. It's so cool. This pickle's really good. You know <laughs> I, yeah, I'll take one. Yeah, yeah. Get in on this. There you go. Make sure you chew on it close to the microphone. You want to stay six inches. Mmm. The, the question dodging pickle. So, did you have a favorite memory of your first international tour? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you able to tell us what it is? Mm. I don't know if my mom knows this story. Um, sorry, this is a bad time for a pickle. <laughs> Most people bring pickles, right? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Keep all this in. This is gold. I got pickle brand on your nice table. <laughs> all right, I don't think I've told this story like in the in a public setting yet. But people know about it. But yeah, the uh, first time I played Montreal, we actually played outside Montreal in Laval. And uh, we played, it was the night of an eclipse, so part of the show was just a beautiful memory for a lot of people. There were 500 people there. Um, I don't know if this place was a strip club, but it had strip poles. There were strippers there. I, the floors were as sticky as a floor I've ever touched. Unless like I dropped a lot of drinks. Yeah, I mean, it was it's like a, a roadhouse. Like, it was just like... I don't know. I think it had something to do with biker gangs. I don't want to get in any kind of trouble with my friends up in <laughs> Canada, but it was a wild, wild night. And I I remember, sorry, Mom, it was the first time I signed boobs, like just autographed straight across, like just sorry to all the children out there. <laughs> um, and uh, at one point, I believe during Joey's set, he said he looked over and I was on stage making out with two girls, like at the same time, like both named Amy. Um, they may or may not have been wearing shirts. I don't know. And this is during Joey's set. Like, and you don't want to mess around during his set. Like, that's not a thing. But we were just all going for it that night. Like, it was just like, it was, you know, Motley Crue in the 90s. Like, it was just like, I don't know what happened. A lot of it was explained to me later. Nobody did anything really bad or anything. But I just, I remember the backstage area had a lot of people that were like very, didn't look like they were there for the show. <laughs> like, real mean looking i don't want to say mob types but like it was like some other stuff was going on there um so that was that you know that was probably from the first tour the one that uh, sticks out the most it's it's plus a beautiful crowd like joey's so popular in montreal like if you go back and watch bret hart's famous uh montreal screwjob match there's a guy with a lag wagon shirt as they're fighting the crowd just being like yeah showing the shirt instead of the guys fighting right next to him was it kind of weird for you to to be kind of on the joey's inner circle on that tour so i mean did you see a lot of people like trying to work their way back to joey and was it kind of strange to some of that happens but joey keeps it pretty close like he has the best thing that came out of me and joey is our friendship for sure 
And the the deviation of that that I love is meeting all of his friends. I mean, I met Frank Turner and not just name droppable people like that, but like in each town he has people that he's known for years that are his, you know, he called me his Green Bay person. He has people in all these cities that are just like amazing humans that he's built this relationship with over the 25 years or whatever at the time that he was touring. And so you get to meet these people too. And they're like the mayors of the city as far as music goes. And so those are usually the people we spend time with. I mean, there would be people that wanted autographs and stuff from him and, and, and stuff like that and some of the bigger shows and some of the bigger cities, but it was nothing like over the top. Um, we didn't really have to like the only thing you have to worry about with the uh, joey cape show is how many people want to have a a shot of jameson with him (laughs) and and throw a cigarette at him when he said who's got a smoke for the caper in that one song you know like the stage just gets littered (laughs) with cigarettes because people are waiting for that moment but like um it's it's got to be hard for him because after the show this happens when i played with tim from rise against or laura jane grace too like people like the whole crowd stays to meet them because they're such nice people um like uh, like with Tim and Laura, th- th- like they'll they'll meet every single person, and have a real conversation with them until people like drag them off, and um, you know it just looks exhausting, you know. So some of that happened, but then with Joey, there's always a shot of Jameson involved as well. They want to. He's not always doing it, but like you know, that's just a a thing. So like that's really the only thing that he had to watch out for was like how many of those can a human do, you know? He's a bit of a superhero, but uh, you know, a human can only take so much, you know. <laughs> It's not like he's going up and getting all these shots. They just keep showing up with him, and so sometimes he'll pass them off. And, like, he handles it really well, but, you know, this is, like, back to back to back. So that's really the only kind of that kind of thing. I'm, I'm going to be I'm, – I'm alienating all my friends here in this one. This is good. <laughs> so the uh, Wisconsin Dells, like, when did you lock yourself into the the hotel at Wisconsin Dells to write? Oh. Was that the first album or was that the, the second Research. album? Research. That's the second record. Um, and there, I must there. Have been, must have been pressure to get – stuff written for that second record yeah but there was no timeline it was more just like so i kind of talked to joey about what do we do next like i'd gone with him on the u.s tour and then he's like you know there's no rules come do another record like i'm a record label do another record Uh, but we didn't have any rush because it was the first one was already out there so i went three times to stay at this place called christmas mountain which is like a resort sort of thing but it was in between seasons. It was like too cold to ski, but not nearly warm enough to golf. Like it was like 30 below zero uh, Fahrenheit <laughs> for all my international friends, which is like 300 degrees below zero Celsius. But it was, it was cold. And uh, like my car didn't start some of the days, but I would just be, there was nothing to do there. Like they barely had basic cable. They had like a fridge and a nice kitchen. And it was like one of those like live in condo kind of fully. A couple bedrooms. But yeah, but there was no, you know, and the Wisconsin Dells is empty too because it's not tourism season. So it was like, um, I don't know, like we, it was just me. Um, You kind of go a little Shining style crazy over there. Um, But then I, yeah, I ended up over three trips writing, you know, 10 or 12 new songs and he picked some of them and and we used them and a couple that we didn't record from the first record and including a song called Wisconsin Dells. And then... You went to uh, back to the same studio. You you did the first one at Katy Perry's old house. No, the first one was at Joey's. The second, second one was, was mostly at Joey's. But it's funny. It's we did it in about a week, but we did it over three years because it was like the end of one year and the beginning of the third year. So it was like sixteen, seventeen month period between the first date and the last date. And the third thing, we got to Asher Studio, and it just sounded so good that we ended up adding. He had these like early nineteen hundreds 
Gibson acoustic guitars and Martin acoustic guitars that sounded so good. So we, we added another track with those and, and fixed up some vocals and um, did stuff like that. And then I uh, ended up, the new record that I'm working on uh, with Neil Hennessy from uh, Lawrence Arms, and now he's in Joyce Manor and Sparta, and like all my, he's always on tour. Um, I recorded fully at Asher's studio, and uh, Asher Simon, he's playing drums. Um, he's from the Santa Barbara area. Uh, great drummer, and Neil, of course, is a great drummer too, but he's he plays bass on the record, and it's like a... It's it's a little bit different than the first two records. It's more of a rock and roll record, so I'm looking forward to that. It's just it's taking forever because uh, I'm picky and Neil's always on tour. <laughs> so it's like you you have like you get a mix and then you have notes and then it'll be three months before any of us can really get to it. So it's just been kind of and we tried starting this during you know pandemic lockdown and stuff. So it was it was tricky, you know, like um, keeping everybody safe and, and well, so you were kind of hit hard during the pandemic because unlike some musicians this is your only gig right so you yeah were- and i i at the time and kind of still um lived just with my dad who's very high risk um so i couldn't even really go get a regular job without putting him in danger which uh some people didn't really buy into and so i got, I got my fair share of abuse i tried doing online shows which at first when everybody's getting the free money the stimulus the stimmies remember the stimmies yeah, I, I remember the stimmies oh man you should try this cheese um that uh that didn't, uh, you know, that that washed out, and then it still wasn't safe. I thought when people started doing stuff. So yeah, there was some some tough uh, financial years. It's actually harder now, believe it or not. Oh, he's going with the hot sauce and the cheese. I gotta try this. Wow. I didn't put a whole lot on there, Walt. Just a little bit. It's not that hot. It's like a Tabasco hot. <laughs> it's a little. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot yeah <laughs> what were we talking about you said you were gonna move to cleveland oh yeah so i decided not to <laughs> <laughs> sorry let's talk briefly about uh texas butter todd yes so this he, is why i'm here todd's in uh traveling suitcase now he's got the he's north in, wind like in the six more sun. bands too yeah uh he's all yeah north and sun and then he's in. Uh, I think he plays with those Ashkash, the 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 Google dolls looking guys, or the Horse Green. <laughs> he's in that too, I think. And yeah. then if he has time, he still plays with us in the Bad Puns. Are you upset that now he he can't? Dedicate? No, I'm thrilled. <laughs> no, I all I wanted for Todd since I met him was for more people to appreciate Todd because from the second okay, the first show I saw him play with me at that New Moon, neither of us were great that night. The next one I played, I was blown away. And I was just like, why, why isn't he, you know, like, I, I just, it, it confounds me what people around here care about when Todd is out there writing original music that has soul. It's interesting. His stage presence is terrible, <laughs> just like me. Like, he just sits there and makes fun of himself, you know, but like worse, like you were saying in the break, like he, he's, he's, he's actually more self-deprecating than me, which I, I just love, but like, he's he was he's born to perform and like i'm so happy he's in the suitcase because i know how much that band means to him it must be a little overwhelming to to play in a band that was your favorite band for a long time um but uh, uh yeah I, I love todd and he's done so much for me doing support like he played almost all of those um online shows i did during the pandemic he's one of the only friends i got to see back then 
and now I never see him because he's just so damn popular. So <laughs> it's 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 really cool. Like if if I hope I you know if I had anything that I contributed to society, it was getting more people to at least pay attention to him. Not that I deserve any credit for it, but I am really happy. And the fact that he even fits us in at all, because you know my band just annoys him more than anything else. Because we we kind of like when we do this stuff, it's just for like festivals and you know the rare occasion where we need a full band because they want to give us more money, but we gotta have more band, blah blah blah. So we we just play a bunch of all of our songs, and we take Todd's songs and change them up, and he hates it. So it's like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, let's do this instead. And he's like, no, but let's not. And it's like, ah, oh, we already are. So, you know, and then we just start playing, and you can just see him fuming. And what a good guy. Well, I think if anything, like, that's awesome. He met, you know, another person through what you do. And then you sort of, I would say, like, kind of maybe gave him the confidence to, to do stuff like the traveling suitcase. And I don't know if like I gave that. him any I don't want to take any credit for the success. I just hope that more people listen to him because he was doing it from the beginning. Whatever he was doing, he was doing it. And his, his, you know, he didn't learn anything from me other than to talk bad about himself and maybe how to squeeze an extra 50 bucks out of a promoter. But, um, you know, like, he, he's, he is a self-made man, like, for sure. And that guy can play a guitar. And he can sing. And he writes good stuff. Todd for president. <laughs> Now, Walt, back in the day, you were doing your own record label called My Brother Stole My Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that was... Wildly successful. But how, how many releases did he have on the label? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing was, so John Wallace owned a print shop. <clears throat> so we thought we'd start a label because he could make t-shirts for bands cheap, and we could put out their records cheap. And basically, it was like, we'd make $2 off of whatever they did. So if they sold a shirt, we made 2 bucks. If they... Uh, sold the record maybe make two bucks so it was just like we you know quote unquote signed you know with no obligation i think there were a few contracts but like social distortion which was one of amos's first bands um uh, the rumors from green bay i think we did a split with with hat uh nobody's housewives uh, fend your friends out of fond du lac um you know we we tried to get this band pudge but they just they didn't want anything to do with us but honestly like we were just looking for bands that drew well and we're young i mean like we were young too we weren't like grooming or anything <laughs> like wallace was probably 19 or something um and we were just looking for bands that, that brought people to shows and then we could help them by making them merch for cheap and then and everybody paid like there it was it was a good deal for everybody and we did a comp which was probably our greatest contribute contribution to the world because you'd go to those towns then and everybody would know those two songs that you had on there and it was kind of cool you know comps were everything to me as a kid do you feel That's how I learned kinda, about almost all the bands. Do you feel the comps have kind of lost their power since yeah, Spotify? Yeah, Spotify. Yeah. But it's funny, like, there was that my first band podcast um, yeah. that Milwaukee Record did, and I couldn't believe how many times my name came up um, when I would listen to somebody that I knew, and they, were, they would talk about how much that helped with the scene, when at the time, you know, I don't think I was really trying to do anything special. I was just, me and John were just trying to make it easier for bands to, to do the stuff, and we were kind of doing our own thing, like... We hadn't really made it in with the Green Bay crowd yet, you know, so we were we were kind of doing our own shows, lots of Fox Valley shows and stuff like that that I was putting on. It was just a way to do it, you know, and so it, it, I ended up unintentionally giving a lot of bands, you know, opportunities to play because I just wanted to play. So it's a very selfish endeavor. <laughs> well, how, how did it stop? Like, what, what made you stop? I think uh, I gave Wallace, like, I think we had, like, Three hundred dollars in the pool, and I gave him one hundred fifty, and and we're still going. We just don't do anything ever. It's been like fifteen years. I think the the first one of the records, maybe even Car City. 
I don't know about Carsey, but one of the one, one weeks I have on the vinyl, it's got the My Brother Stolen Records logo on it. Well, it doesn't mean anything, but you know, I thought that was a cool name too. I drew the logo. It's just a kid chasing another kid with a record. Well, speaking of not doing anything, your website hasn't been really updated. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that today. I was like, oh man. Like I just stopped. One day I just well, yeah, stopped. I mean, so you were updating the website by yourself. And I've and toured just... so much since then. I have so many cool shows to like brag about. I've been to Europe like three times since that happened. Well, Canada like, <laughs> like five and like nothing. I got, I've done nothing. I still pay for it every six months. That's well, it. You go there now and it looks like you're touring Canada again in, in the 2019. Fall yeah. It keeps looping. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I get like seven visitors a month. Uh, do you feel like we're talking about comps kind of not being effective? Do you feel like websites aren't really effective anymore either? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like you, you basically do all your promoting on Facebook and Instagram, right? And Twitter, I guess. But I don't really use Twitter that much. Yeah, because if you go to a website, you know it's probably not updated daily like Facebook. Well, or- it's not like it used to be. I mean, a lot of bands still use band. I never had a band camp. I suppose I could get on that. I'm, I'm still pretty early in my career, right? But... Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I got really lazy with that website. I just I just one day I just stopped and then I got a little behind and then and it was nice because I could use it with my taxes at the end of the year, like going over all the shows I did and how much I got paid. And now it's just like, oh shit, you play a lot of shows. I mean, even the you know the archived ones you have on there. And that I was even... thinking I probably played thousands of shows in my life. I don't know how many. I have no idea. But I I do in good years over a hundred a year. So. Your live playing is so clean. Like I, I what? No, I, you haven't been listening. <laughs> well, no, I mean You've like been the, hitting the sauce. <laughs> the sound is clean. I, I saw you play at uh, the uh, Northwest something something punk show for bands that couldn't play the Madison something. And uh, Aaron, you were there for that. Yeah, and so I, I saw some That's people sweet. play, and the sound was left something to be desired. And then you came up with your your setup and. And it sounded like crisp. Well, here's what happened there. I don't know about that specific show. What a weird reference. There were like eight people there. And an unnamed person spilled Mountain Dew on my records that day. I don't know if you'd be able to guess. But then there was a... uh, (laughs) Is that initial... Anyway, so uh, Code Zero Radio. (laughs) It's WCZR. Um... Well, just as far as, I mean, that that's probably a result from playing so many shows. Well, like, some of it is maybe, but, like, I think what, I, I think I'm a good singer. I, I, I think that is what sets me apart from other musicians. If I can be at all braggadocious, is that a word? It is now. Um, I think I can sing really well, and I think I, that sets me apart from a lot of people, at least in this scene. But the guitar stuff, I have a nice guitar now. I used to play a plastic guitar, and then I started touring, and I had to borrow guitars because the one I was playing wasn't up to par with every other sound. So we finally got a nice Martin. And Joey is sponsored by LR Bags, which is a really nice um, company that has a place in Nashville. And we did a session uh, there. And um, you can still find that on YouTube. Um, And in that session, at the end, um, I was just like, yeah, I really like this DI box, which has got a little preamp in it and a little mixing capabilities. And they're like, yeah, we're supposed to give you guys whatever you want. I'm like, well, I want one of those. And I got the last one. And then they also gave me this Anthem pickup which is like half microphone and half guitar pickup, so you kind of mix it how you want, like which gets more. And so it should sound, if you do it right, like you're just listening to an acoustic guitar. It's just louder. So I think that goes a long way in like how that sounds. But I, I don't know. Amos, I don't know if you know this guy named Amos Pitch. He's a, Heard of him. He's a really well-liked musician in the Fox Cities. Solid, Everybody loves Amos. Solid album called Acid Rain. Yeah, right? He just threw that together because he's 
locked. Uh, what an ass. Well, I'm so, looking at him right now. He's he's just on the wall here. So he successfully kind of jumped away from the, the good well, no, sound. But, but he, what was I going to say about him? Oh, he said something. Oh, he thinks I'm a very sloppy guitar player. And I, I, I tend to think that he's probably right. Because he listens. You know, I talk, he listens. Like, I'm always talking and he's always listening. He's got those producer ears, though, that... Yeah. Like, you know, we did produce. If uh, I, it's, I'm in the band, so it's it's kind of hard to to be happy about it and not sound like a, a butthead. But like, when we we produced the the Car City record together. That's some of the most fun either of us have ever had. Like, we would get together like four times a week for hours at a time, and it was mostly laughing. You know, just like taking the bad takes and spending more time on those than the good, and then sending Jason like some fake mixes and stuff. But. <laughs> But I'm really proud of what we did. It was the first time I ever got to just be a producer, right? Like, I mean, otherwise, it's just I'm playing rhythm guitar and some percussion and doing a lot of harmonies. But the a lot of that was writing. Great. Yeah, that was really fun with him because he's really good at that too. But we have different vocal ranges, and so we kind of just both we excelled at that. I thought I, that was what I was. That that record's really fun based on how much fun we had making it. I think that was sort of uh, the super group. That was created, and then the hell yeah! How did the the cover? Who did the cover? For Amos, that? that's all Amos, man. That's he, cool. <laughs> him and his roommate, I think, did the claymation, and then he he got a nice camera and he put together the set. And I was so happy that I'm holding a beer in it. I don't own a pink shirt. I don't know where that came from, but I had my blue hair and my beer, and uh, that made me. That, I just love that. I still have the um, the claymation figures somewhere. Sometimes, like right after we released the record, I was putting them in different places and taking little shots I don't know. so when is the next car city album coming out well we have been working on one uh for about five years now <laughs> i don't know if it's five but it's a lot ever since the last one we started recording right away is and, it along uh, the same kind of lines as the the first album i would say to me and i think they'd all disagree with me but this would be our pinkerton to our blue album so it's except for not as good or even as close <laughs> as good but like this was like the blue album is is a very polished sound and i think this one is getting a little more livey sound but i mean we we the last like four times we've got together at least we've done the exact same thing we get together we listen to tracks everybody goes oh this is pretty good and then we go out to dinner <laughs> so because jason pays for all the meals it's really <laughs> nice so and we do that like every six months like it's going nowhere I think Bill is like a famous roadie or guitar tech or something now, and um, Amos is opening a record store. And so he works like three jobs right now, um, you know, in dusk. and So life is getting in the way. Yeah, I mean, like, we would all like to get together, but, um, you know, Jason has a family. You know, that's that's a lot. Like, to ask anybody to do anything outside of just being a dad is, is hard. So that's the thing about the bad puns is, like, other than me and Todd... Mike and Aaron and uh, Jason, they all have families, so it's like we're trying to schedule a practice in the next month and a half before our first show, and it's just like every week is just... You were one of the first people to play at the Refuge when it... Yeah, I think I played the first show ever there. It wasn't even called the Refuge yet. How do you know that? I remember, I think I talked to you about it like five or six years or something, I don't know, ago, but so what was it then? Bloss put that together. I don't think he's called Bloss anymore. How do you pronounce it? Arkim? Uh, Ar- Arkim, Bloth Arkim or something? Yeah, he did that. Uh, it was called the Monastery, and he spelled it wrong. I don't know if he did it on purpose. Uh, yeah, that was right after I got back from recording my first record, and uh, the picture's on the back of the CD anyway. The re-release of that record, we used a different picture because it was such a blurry picture. Yeah, it was like really pixelated. Yeah. Bernardo Cano might have taken that one, the verified kid from Facebook. He's got the blue dot. <laughs> 
You know, you know who he is. I don't, I don't. He's my hairstylist's partner. Okay. Yeah. So the, I mean, was plays that... like every instrument. You gotta know who Sounds Bernardo like a... is. He plays like harmonica and like the the hand drums. Oh, he's I'll... verified. How do you not know who he is? <laughs> I'll look. I'll look him up after this. But mm. so, have you played at the? I refuge? think he took that picture. I don't know. Did you play at the refuge after that? Or that was the only time you played at like that after building. Chisel took over. Yeah. I haven't seen him since Mark's Eastside. What do you think he's doing right now? I bet you he's working on a movie. Oh, yeah, he's all over the world now, isn't he? <laughs> he's probably sleeping because he's probably in Europe. Or, no, Argentina, wasn't it? That's south of us. He's up. Hey, Corey. Our birthdays are almost the same, you know. He definitely just tunes into Code Zero Radio <laughs> every day and leaves it, leaves it right there. That's what I would do if I was Corey Chisel. <laughs> So okay, moving. What was on. the question though? I forgot. Uh, did I ever play the refuge? the refuge after that? I don't think I did. I, I I don't think I did. I've been there for some stuff, but I don't think I ever played there again. No, I did one time for a sex thing. <laughs> it was like uh, the Chamber of Commerce did a thing called sex. I, I'm serious. It was just called sex or something. And I, I, I play, uh, Yeah. How did that go? Over? It was super awkward because after I talked, it turned out to be more of like a. First of all, we were too loud. We were we didn't realize we weren't there to perform. We were there to be background music, right? So like, <laughs> it's in the chapel part, so it was loud, you know. And it was we just, they just kept telling us to turn down. And then uh, it turned out to be more of a share your horrible stories kind of thing. Was it like the story catchers? I don't know. Like it, a- they did like a week back in the day. Um, hmm. I don't know. I, don't, I just remember being surprised that they didn't have money for us. Like they told us, and they're like, "We'll mail it to you next week." And it's like, "Oh, I'm very poor." I was hoping we, you know, usually when you leave the venue, they hand you money. That's my favorite part of any show, because <clears throat> then I can go buy stuff. You know, do you get that a lot? Where all of a sudden you'll do the service of playing music, and people will say like, "Oh, well, no, I have a booking agent now, so that that helps." Oh, nice. That yeah. probably takes some of the stress off. Of- so much. It's great. <laughs> uh, God, I don't know what I would do without Steve. Like uh, merit-based booking management. Shout out. Love you guys. Thank you for keeping me alive and giving me a job. Um, but he, 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 yeah, when, when people try to pull shit, um, he. That's awesome. Because he's been doing it for 30 years, so he has relationships with everybody. So even if, like, say, we play a show, we did a show. I mean, sometimes weird things happen. Like, uh, the hometown team is in the playoffs, and the guy that helped build the venue died unexpectedly the week before. That happened recently. Good friend of mine. Tragic. So we fly all the way to the city, and the vibe is just not great, and there's not a lot of people there because of all those factors. And it's like, but also, he's bringing huge shows there all the time. So just because our show didn't go well because of all these weird things going on, he's also going to bring him shows that do really, really well, and it evens out. So having somebody like that on my back, I think that's what separates me from a lot of <clears throat> the really hardworking people um, that do what I do, is that people that do what I do that don't make a ton of money, but still have somebody that will book for them it's really hard to find because you know the booking agents get about 10 percent, right so if, if even if i'm making 500 dollars, it's only 50 bucks if you make 100 dollars, it's 10 dollars. you know like put a band in there and you're making even less yeah so it's hard for them to make money off of me specifically but um yeah I, I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard so let's talk mile music um are you playing mile 10 i am yeah they just announced me on tuesday awesome congrats and thanks you didn't play mile nine right no, i was in europe Okay, that's a good excuse. Yeah, it was a pretty good excuse, I thought. I was playing really good shows. I played a festival of the Descendants, man. 
Yeah, it is cool. And I do remember now, because they still were doing the, which we need to talk about as well, your foundation. They still were collecting money for the foundation during the mile that you weren't in attendance. They did. They did a thing at the chapel. I thought that was very very kind. Did, uh, did they raise as much money as if you were there? No, but it was still more than we could have possibly expected. Um, you know, the past couple of years, it had been like six, $7,000 throughout the festival. This year, it was just a, last year, it was just a chapel, which we've done pretty much every year, um, except for the first couple. And uh, I wasn't even there, and it still raised like seven or 800 bucks. I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, our foundation is small, so when we get any kind of money, it goes a long way. So, What started your love for cats and then cats and dogs? And what made you decide to... And pigs. We, we, we help sponsor a, a pig sanctuary now. And what, what kind of drove you to make a nonprofit out of it? These are good pickles. <laughs> um, sorry. doesn't matter if this runs over, does it? No. Awesome. Let's start for a couple more hours. <laughs> um, I did animal rescue because my partner started doing it. And I started... I'm sorry, this is a long pickle. Mm, so good though. Guys, Mount Olive, <clears throat> Simply Pickles, Select Ingredient, Kosher Baby Dills, Cucumber and Vine. Call me up. Sign the check. Let's do this. Come on, Mount Olive. And Plockman's Mustard. I love you too. Hell yeah. Animal Rescue is a very introverted um, line of work. Almost all the people I know that do that do not want attention. That's part of the reason I think that they love animals okay uh but i have a big mouth so like when i play shows i could raise money for local rescues and it actually started pretty organically at mile music i was played my first show at spats that year and uh, i put out my guitar case and i said um you know let's try to raise 250 dollars this weekend 25 dollars a show at 10 shows which is crazy because like this year i have two i'm just like what am i gonna do with my life two shows it's so easy you know and uh um and then we got, you know, almost that on the first show and ended up raising like $1,000 that week, including a good amount in the chapel that year. That was the first time we tried that. I kind of just asked Corey, I'm like, hey, we've been doing this all weekend. Do you think we could just put it out? And this really cool thing happened where people came down the aisle at the chapel and were throwing money from the second level. And um, there was a $100 bill in there. I was crying at the end of it. And then the next year it was bigger and next year it was bigger. And then we started doing some other fundraisers. Um, for when natural disasters happen, like uh, there was a tornado or a hurricane, actually, in uh, Louisiana and Texas. We wanted to send some money down to the rescues because a lot of people have to make that tough call of um, leaving quickly and not being able to bring their pet, you know. And so the rescues were overwhelmed. And we started getting checks that were <coughs> a little too big, like the people wanted to be able to claim them on their taxes, and they had to write them to me personally, and then I also had to count that as income. So we realized the, the prudent thing would be to start an actual nonprofit and so we um, went to a lawyer friend and raised the money to do that it's like even with a, a nice lawyer it was still like two grand to, to found the thing and then ever since then we just kind of try to do what we can our up till this year our biggest thing was always mile music um, this year they're going in a different direction so we're not able to raise money at the festival so we're gonna have to figure that out but um, if anybody wants to donate one of the things uh, you can go to the, the Walt Hamburger Foundation Facebook page is where our PayPal thing is um, <clears throat> recently, we've we've kind of focused on two things. If it's okay if I keep talking about this, um, one is uh, of course our Willow Fund, which is 
basically there's a mural at McFleshman's um, that you can see that uh, is Will of the Cat that Chad Brady did. Um, and uh, I oh, I thought maybe Herm was here. Oh, <laughs> Hermie. Um, we raise money uh, and then we, we put aside some for uh, humans that have pets that have emergencies and have to make the life or death call and maybe if they could get the surgery they might survive and we've helped a lot of people locally with that and uh, that's that's very important to me and then the other thing we started doing is there's this pig sanctuary in Kakana which is so cool called Saving Snouts and we've been um, sponsoring a few of their pigs and they are pigs if you don't know are more intelligent than dogs then these are pigs that had some tragic stories and there's this person named TJ and uh, and a few other dedicated uh, volunteers and employees there that they have like 42 pigs and um, a lot of them you know were like fell off a truck or were like they were supposed to do an organ transplant it didn't work out and these these pigs were left for dead and they saved them and so we we sponsor three of them right now and it's like some of the most rewarding volunteer work I've ever done um check them out saving snouts and if you want to <coughs> donate to us for any of that stuff you can tell us where you want the money to go and we'll use it for that i think that's great you do that it's just you know i get a lot of the credit for what the rest of our volunteer team does because it's my name on the thing um but it's really just a group of people that care and want to be able to to help because we all have bleeding hearts and uh and so it's it you know right now our, our funds are pretty low so we, we're not able to do much, but um, we're trying, you know. So You've done a lot of Milo Music shows under different names. Like, I'm just looking here. <laughs> you got uh, Walt Hamger and the Taste Buddies. Yeah. Walt Hamger and the Young Buns. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So. There's more. Where, where are some of the other ones? There, it was, well, there's just Walt Hamburger. I didn't even get announced as me this year. They just didn't. So I'm just, there's the bad puns this year. And then we had one more, uh, the Young Guns. That's how it started. So when Young Guns, then somebody's like, you should be Young Buns. And we're like, that's funny. And none of us thought about like the other side of what that could mean. And then as soon as we thought of that, we're like, oh, nope. And then there was Taste Buddies. and Or maybe it was Bad Puns first and Taste Buddies was last. Most of those, just like songs on the Keys of Beef or Key of Beef were just like things people said as a joke. And I'm like, yep, that's it. The Young Guns was because Aaron and Jason were older than me. So I thought it'd be funny if I called them Young Guns. And then Young Buns was a drunk guy at a bar named Gus Graff. Shout out, Gus. And then, uh, I forget who did Taste Buddies. That might have been Todd. He comes up with a lot of stuff. Again. Todd. Texas Butter Todd. You know, both of my parents, all three of them actually, because I got a stepdad too, they call him Texas Butter Toast. <laughs> None of them can get it. <laughs> but hamburgers are supposed to have a reunion at Milo Music. It got rained out and you guys moved it to Misfits. Yeah, that was a very stressful day for uh, me. 2018, I think. Because... Yeah, we get, it just rained, and then the sound guy just left that stage. So that stage was abandoned, and they didn't have any backups because, you know, I remember Taylor was, um, Taylor Greenwood, maybe the best promoter I've ever met. Also one of the nicest guys. Yeah, he, he was crying because he just didn't have a spot for us. And we were the only band that only had one show. So it was just, that was it, or nothing. And they were so nice at Misfits. Uh, Tobin um, had a show going already. And uh, he said, you know, we could add you on. So we ended up playing last at that. And that place was so freaking packed. Like, my parents couldn't even get in. I just told them to go home because we were recording it. But then the recording broke, so we only got one song. But, I mean, it was just so many people were there. It was crazy. It was full outside, around the outside of the back, on the side, and, like, the, the patio. You know, I never played. I played there one other time just by myself on a terrible show. 
but it had nothing to do with the bar. It was the people I was playing with. But uh, I think I was really sick. But that show was that was a pretty legendary night. I'm glad we got one more in before everything fell apart there. So, I mean, I'm surprised, Miles. They didn't have a stage open they could put you guys on. No, um, no. It just because it, I mean it wasn't just us that got rained out. You know, it was like a hour and a half storm and. Um, yeah, cause you guys were on the alley. Yeah, we were like behind the museum, kind of. Oh. Um, I think it worked out better because we were a club show band, you know. So to, to play in a club felt right. Um, but uh, Tony said that when he gets up, I shouldn't mention it, but he's like way over there. Did I call you Tony? You did. God damn it. I'll pretend it didn't happen. That's I mean, just, it, hap- it, it happens, Walt. It's okay. But at least I knew. <laughs> um, oh, man. This is why you don't go over an hour. So uh, Troy wants to know when the next. I'm show- so sorry. Troy wants to know when the next show is. Who? Troy. He's a. Uh, He's viewing. He's on the... Hi, Troy. He's viewing right Do now. Do I know Troy? I don't think so. Oh. Um, we got some dumb stuff coming up, I think. Um, let's see. The week before <laughs> Mile, we're at Fox River House. Um, it's for the Saturday matinee thing. Like, I think we play at like 5 o'clock. I think we're playing the Oshkosh Festival, but I, at this point we're not, so I guess I wouldn't say that. We're doing Mile. Um, but just a few shows this year. I think... We only have two as of now, so um, and they might just be Thursday and Friday, so look at like usually you can just find me everywhere there, but I think I'll I'm only there for a little bit and then uh, uh, we're playing with Belvedere actually um, that band that I've been touring Europe and Canada with quite a bit. Um, it's our first tour in US in many many years, maybe 20 years um, at uh, Badger State Brewing in August August 2019 26. I don't know, one of the days. It's a Friday. And that'll be fun. And those are all actually uh, the full band, Bad Puns, except for maybe one a mile. But like I said, they didn't announce me, so I don't know what that means. And then the uh, you said the third album yeah. should be coming out soon. Well, or soon's relative, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we started working on it two years ago. Um, the problem we had this time was we mixed it a bunch but then it turned out the mixing was something was wrong with the mixing um he had to remix the whole thing poor guy neil i I just have to give a huge shout out to that the patience of neil hennessy who on a daily basis works with so many people that are so much more famous and nice than me i mean he's on tour with weezer right now like right like he's just hanging out with weezer every day and he stills working on and and all the different times he's had to go back and mix i feel so bad but he's doing an incredible job and i'm really excited for people to hear the record it's got some of uh the song like a lot of the songs i play live now are, are on that but just not released yet um and whenever it happens i'm excited for people here and then i'll start touring heavy again last year touring really beat me up i did two in canada and two in uh europe i was gone for like three months it was, it was difficult so um this year i just had like one maybe one more in the fall <clears throat> and then uh, next year probably ramping it up again when the record comes out if it does indeed come out because like i said i'm, I'm very much at the uh the whim of the weezers of the world thank you for doing this well yeah are we about halfway done or we're done well that was easy but, you know what I, th- I think you should come back with car city yeah that would be fun ah. I could ask you the same questions and see if you answer them the same. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I would like that. I just to get us together, um, and like our band practice is about a block from here, so you can come in and do a live uh, recording while we're practicing if you want. If people want to find out more about Walt Hamburger, obviously don't. Well, go to the website, but then probably go to your come Facebook. to Europe. 
you've got two Facebook pages. You've got your personal, and then you've got Walt Hamburger musician. Yeah, there's. I don't. That's another thing I neglect, huh? That, well, that, it's like double the stuff to pay attention to. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. You know, like you, you you think you know what you're doing. Wait, who's that guy? I don't know where. You're... I'm looking at the dusk photo. Oh no, he's still in dusk. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> oh, Amos would have appreciated that if he'd been in my brain. That guy's still in dusk, and I didn't know who he was. <sighs> Any parting words, Walt? Ska bands, man. <laughs>